You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I'm going to invite you to go with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to primarily look at verses 12 through 15. We'll note some other verses, but James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And I want to talk to you this morning just a little bit about the fact that love never fails. Love never fails. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for this day. I thank you, God, for your grace. Um, I thank you, Father, for your love and your kindness. And I ask you, God, that as we get ready to dive into your word that you would allow us the privilege to have your word exposed to us in a way that it convicts anyone that does not know you as their savior that is that is lost their need for salvation that it edifies the body of Christ, those that are the children of God, that it would strengthen us, it would lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. I am so thankful, God, today for your word. Just like you, your word never changes. Your word is faithful, enduring, steadfast, a rock upon which we can build our lives. And God, we thank you for that today in Christ's name. Amen. When we look at verse 12, we notice some, something kind of interesting. We notice that there is a promise there about the crown of life. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There seems to be a condition that's set before that. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, then he will receive the crown of life. In other words, it seems to be that there is an expectation that has to meet a certain approval. And then the crown of life there, which we'll talk about in a minute, is given. But don't miss out on the word temptation. Some translations may have, blessed is the man who endures or goes through trials or testings. It's an interesting word there that we have, and we're going to have to use that word to understand a few things. And I never proclaim to be a Greek scholar, and I am one that butchers the pronunciation of certain Greek words because of the fact that I am a southern guy in the United States of America. I don't have the ability to roll guttural sounds to give it the enunciation that it needs. But with the best of my ability, the word we're dealing with today is pyrosmus. Pyrosmus. It's an interesting word. It could mean trial. It could mean test. It could mean temptation. Along those lines, that word is used a lot in the New Testament. But it has a unique way that it can be seen in two different lights. It can be used in a positive connotation or it can be used in a negative connotation. Because when we think about these verses, we know that the Bible says here in the verses we have that God is not tempted by evil and God does not tempt but yet we know that Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness. 
And so we're going to try to unpack a few things so that we might can understand some of that. And at its core, realize that love never fails. So blessed is the man who endures or goes through temptations or trial or, or testing for when he has been approved. So now there is a, an approval of the trial. In other words, that you and I all go through things, that we are uh, all recipients of trials or testings, all of which are common to man, the Bible says. In other words, you and I all experience some of the same things, maybe in a different light, but we experience those same trials. And it says that there is like an examination that goes on, that when we are approved, and I don't know about you, but I like to be approved of. I enjoy having a pat on the back for a good job, right? A job well done. I think when I take the trash off, they ought to have something equivalent to a birthday party, <laughs> right? I think that when I cut the grass and I come in, there should be this entourage of people with fried chicken and homemade mashed potatoes and sweet tea just waiting to give me the praise that is due my name for these jobs well done. But in the text, we have something so different. It's actually as if God, and he, through this text, we'll find out that God is approving us of a job that you and I cannot take credit for. He says that if this job is approved of, that you and I will receive the crown of life. Immediately in our minds, we go to the idea of an just an ornate crown, a beautiful piece of jewelry that would be put on our heads as if we're some king worthy of being worshipped. But that's not the picture that we have here. And I want to take you on a little bit of a journey just to kind of lay down this idea. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells young Timothy, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then I take you to 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Paul also admonishes Timothy and says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Did you notice some things there? That the judge has decreed that Paul would receive the crown of life, but not just Paul, that all the ones that had loved his appearing, loved him in their walk, loved him wanting to see him, wanting to be with him, that he is going to give them the crown of life. And then we go to 1 Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, talking about Jesus Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. We notice some things in all the texts that this crown that we're talking about is eternal. That it is a crown that does not fade away. And better rendered because it's not a literal crown as we would have in our minds. That there is, when we enter into heaven, God would put that ornate uh, a piece of jewelry upon our heads. But the idea there is more of an athletic term. It is of somebody winning a competition. And y'all all remember seeing in the, the Greek uh, uh, athletic competitions and stuff where they put that wreath upon the victor's head. That's the idea that at the end of the competition, at the end of the test, at the end of the trial, that somebody has been given the decree that they are victorious and they put upon their head something that signifies that they have been victorious. But for you and I, it renders more along the lines of the fact that we are receiving not an crown of eternal life, but we are receiving eternal life itself. That you and I are actually receiving eternal life. And when you study it out, that phrase there, that the 
we would receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those. It is that God is giving to us eternal life in its fullest, that, that we have finished the course, we have finished the race, that yes, I know I'm saved, but one day my salvation is going to be face to face with to me. That I'm going to, and you, if you're a child of God, and many of those that have passed away this week, they now see face to face that there was in this life a glory that was fading away, much like the veil that was put upon Moses' face. And when it was taken away, the glory started to fade. The glory of God was always uh, coming upon men, but it would fade away because of our sinfulness and our inability to maintain that glory. But then in the Holy Spirit of God, there's this fostering glory that, that, that fosters the glory of God within us. But one day, even grace is going to give way to the final glory that I will see him and you will see him and we will see him face to face. We behold in a mirror dimly now, but then the dimness is gone and we will see him as he is and we shall be like him, the Bible says. So blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those and notice what it says, to those who love him. Now, it's an interesting thing when I think about loving God and putting the pieces together, that this idea of myself and you, if you're a child of God, actually being in the eternal glory of God, we receive eternal life, life in Christ forevermore, and the victor, victorious uh, celebration that we have is because we love God. But you and I would not love God, nor would we love anyone else, were it not for the fact that God first commended his love toward us. As a matter of fact, uh, John MacArthur says that faith under trial is a sign of genuine love for God. That faith that we live out, and we need to declare that also, because James in chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. So that it's not just a head knowledge about God, but it is a change of being. It is a change of heart that God himself has done something so miraculous within us. Now that we who once knew nothing about love, now we are love, we are uh, able to love others. And I, I want to take your attention to 1 John for just a second. 1 John chapter 4. And in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the Bible reads like this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves, listen, is born of God and knows God. And I want to read that part one more time. And everyone who loves is born of God. Now, he uses the word everyone. It's much like the word all. So, anybody that loves, you're saying that no one has the capacity to love if they're not born of God? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And the Bible says that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8 says, and he who does not uh, love does not know God. Why? For God is love. And so when we take this verse 12, we see a positive connotation of this Greek word that we're dealing here with, the, the idea of being tested, tempted, uh, tried. And when you think about it, is it not a glorious thing? I mean, let's look at it in the light of what it is for the believer. For the believer, we can automatically say that everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is blessed. And why are we blessed? Well, one reason we're blessed is because we are men or women who endure temptations. You and I go through trials just like everybody else does. But in those temptations, in those trials, when we have been approved, in other words, when the race 
is over. Now, granted, I know in the economy of God that God has sovereignly ordained my days. In other words, that I was in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. I get that. But there is no way of going outside the fact that you and I will finish our race one day. Even told, as he did, young Timothy, press on, Timothy. Run the race. He said, I've run my race. I've finished my course. Now there is laid up for me the victor, victory in Christ. That you and I, when we finish our course as children of God, we will receive eternal life. We will be welcomed into eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it won't be because of anything that you or I did. It will be because we have loved God. It's an interesting thought, is it not? Because he even says that they will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And how can you be my disciple and not do the things that I say to do? This is Christ's words to his people. And so we look at our text and we realize, though, this is a glorious thing. Because if we're in Christ Jesus, we're not doing the persevering. He's doing the persevering in and through us. He has indwelt us with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says in Revelation that you and I, that, when, uh, that he who perseveres till the end shall be saved. Well, if you are a child of God today, hold your head up because you cannot not persevere to the end. Why? Because it is God, the Bible says, that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under what? Good works. When was that planned? He says, which was planned before the foundation of the world that you and I should walk in them. That before you and I were ever born, before you were ever thought of, before the world was ever thought of, that God planned the works of your life. That you as a workman, as, as a, a work of his workmanship, that you and I would work the works that God has for us and that he would be the one that would be pushing us forward. The power and the feeling of the Holy Spirit of God moving on, uh, on us to correct us and to lead us and to empower us. It's God doing that work. So if you ever feel like that the Christian life is on your back to live before God, you need to read your Bible. And I would encourage you, read your Bible. Whenever I get to the place to where I feel like, and, and I can tell you this as testimony, although this has been an interesting week, this week's been different for me than any week like this that I've ever had in my time as a pastor. Many times in my life, I'm tired. I am. It's been a few long hours this week and still yet more to come. But there's something different this time. And I know that God grows us and he teaches us. In times past, I would take a lot of the load on myself that I needed to get this done or I needed to get that done. But this week's been different. I'm like, God, I'm just a vessel here for you to use. I can't be full unless you fill me. I can't get anything accomplished that's going to be accomplished for the glory of God unless you accomplish it in me. That's why he says that his load is light. His burden's easy. That he, we are to take his yoke upon us and learn of him. That God is the one that's going to persevere. Do we have responsibility? Yes, we do. But we are to do everything that we do as doing it unto the Lord, the Bible says. And that you and I, when we finish, guess what? We are victorious. Everybody that closed their eyes on this earth this week, that knew Christ Jesus as their Savior, they won the victory. They did. But don't miss out, my brothers and sisters. They didn't win the victory in their own strength. Christ won the victory. And everybody that receives eternal life, Christ is glorified throughout all of eternity for the victory that's won. I like that. I don't know about you, but I like that. 
I'm a little jealous of some of them. They, they are finished with this cursed world. They're finished with the cursed bodies. They're finished with the corrupt minds that want to rear up in, in us. They're finished. It's done. They've finished the race. And they've received the victory that's in Christ. That's a good note. You can look over if you want to in James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. See another place where that same Greek word has a positive flair to it. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. Did you see? And I won't re-preach this. I've preached this last year out of this text. But it's almost as if it is an accounting term, is it not? Count it all joy. So everything that you receive in this life as a temptation, a trial, a test, he says to write it down. I guess if you keep it old school, you'd put it in a ledger. Maybe you keep it in QuickBooks. But he said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Listen to what he says. Various trials, that same word, knowing. He says, you need to know this. Live with this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do, do you see the progression of what's going on there, even in that? That when you go through testing, you go through trials, that God is working a work in us. He's perfecting us. And you and I know that there's only one place that we're going to be when we're perfect. That's with Him. And so as we go through this walk, it's like, what's God doing in my life? He's Perfecting you. He's making you. And I read this, and if I could get it right, it said that what God's doing in sanctification is creating you to live your life as if Jesus was living your life in you. In other words, as if you, Jesus took on you and would live his life through your body. That that's what God wants to do in and through us. And the thing is, he will. How do I know that? Because he can't fail. He who has begun a good work in you will see it through, the Bible says, until the day of completion. He will finish the work. Now, so in verse 12, we know that this is a very positive thing. That you and I are in Christ Jesus, guess what? That we're going to run a race. And the one that endures, which is all of those, and we'll see that again here in a minute, all those that are in Christ, we're going to make it to the end. We're going to be approved. Not approved because we did a good job in our flesh, but approved because we are washed in Christ. We are covered by His righteousness. We have His righteousness dwelling within us. It's all about Him. The Spirit of God, the guarantee of the inheritance, the purchased possession, it's all there. Then verse 13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, same word, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. I think that's worth noting. God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. So how does this work out, especially when we think about the fact that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? We need to step to verse 14 and 15, study there for a moment, I think, to get the answer. Because now we see a different note with that word. We see that word morph, if you will. It changes its connotation. It's used in a different light. Verse 14. But each one, talking about everyone, each one is tempted when he, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Seems to be a progression, does it not? It seems to start at one point, and there is a progression that also brings forth an end, but it's a different end than the end we just talked about. The end we just talked about is a positive end. That, that when we are finished with the trials of this life, we have been 
awarded the crown or the eternal life, have been approved of because of Christ and His work on Calvary and us being His children. And you're never going to be His child unless He gives you the right to be His child. And, and, and so we see that, and that is a glorious thing. It's a very positive thing, is it not? But then we look at this text here, and in verse 15 we find out that, that at the end of this course, something absolutely opposite happens. It talks about death, and it's not just any death, it's spiritual death. You see, because there are some folks that we believe because of the, uh, the fruits of their life, the profession of their faith in Christ Jesus that have passed away this week. One we laid to rest on Friday, one we'll lay to rest today, and one we'll lay to rest on Monday. That each one of them had a track record of a life that was controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Not perfect, but a life, and we'll get to that in a minute, controlled by the Spirit of God. And because of that, you have to understand, their body still dies. We've buried one or buried the other one. I was joking. I don't, some people don't like jokes like this. I'm sorry if you don't. But somebody was asking where Miss Francis would be buried. And Mr. Eddie Stewart has already been buried. I said, actually, if she could reach out a little bit, she could kick him in the back of the head. They're going to be right there together. And I know both of them good enough that they're okay with that little joke. But just because we put that body in there, that's not the end that we're talking about here. That's just the end of the body. What it's talking about here is physical, I mean spiritual death, not physical death. Yes, we will all, the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, he said, but each one is tempted when, notice this, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That word drawn away is the idea of being dragged along. But see, it's not somebody else dragging us. It's not God dragging us. And that's the idea, that's part of our, our thing here, is that God is not dragging you into sin just because you've been allowed to be tested, but that you and I have this evil thing within us, a flesh, a, 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 our, our desires, our, our lust, that can drag us into a bad place when it comes to temptation. Listen to what it says. But each one is tempted, and that's when it gets negative. Each one is tempted when he has not been just presented with an opportunity, or she has not just been presented with an opportunity, but they have entertained the opportunity, and their desires drag them off into it. But that's not the end of it. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I was joking a little earlier, you know, we'll feed the family after uh, the funeral today. And there'll be a table sitting over there that'll have a lot of investment by a company named Dixie Crystal. It'll be a dessert table with sugar in it. And I will be enticed you say, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, 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 it, it does. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness with what? Hunger. Not different kind of temptation with food, but nevertheless, he's tempted with hunger. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he was tempted in all points, yet the Bible says without sin. And that's a good note to take there. But you and I, as a child of God, even as a child of God, can be drug away by our own desires and enticed, and yet not, at, not sin at that point. I want you to watch it. What does it say? But each one is tempted when he's drawn away, drug away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So there seems to be a process that happens there. Almost like the gestational period with a mom and a baby. You with me? It's the, it's the language that he's using there. That when sin gives, uh, when desire gives birth, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. You see the progression? And I believe in a believer's life, 
that you and I can be found in that process. But I don't believe that you and I can reach the end of the process. And I'm going to show you why. So once again, let's look, look at what he says. For one, in verse 12, we know that if you're in Christ Jesus and approved through the righteousness of Jesus Christ by the Father, that, that, that eternal life is ours, is promised to those who love, love God. The question is, do you love God? Now, you don't love God on your own strength. We laid that down. You don't love God because God first loved you. He's called you. He's to his own. He's, he's set out a path for your life. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So in this process that's going on here, I believe a believer can be found in that process, but something's going to happen. Something's going to ring in the believer's life that stops. I'm going to put it in layman's terms, terms that I can understand. I can do anything a lost person can do. I just can't get away with it. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture, but I can do anything a lost person can do. I just can't get away with it. So I'm not, while I'm on this earth, if I can't get away with it, then it never gets to the spiritual death part. But I can find myself sometimes in the same place that even a lost person is in a pro process. The difference with me and the difference with you, if you're saved and somebody that's not saved, something's going to happen to you. And I'm going to show you, you what's going to happen to you. I'm going to take you, you to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to listen to these words good. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start looking at verse 7. Verse 7, Hebrews chapter 12. He said, if you endure chastening, uh, discipline, some folks don't know what that word means. You need to learn it. Did you know that God's in favor of discipline? I think that's just a good thing to note. God's in favor of discipline. As a matter of fact, he not only tells you that you should use discipline, he actually compares that discipline that he does with the discipline that a father on earth does. And you'll see it in just a minute. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, or let's just say as with children. For what child is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, listen to what he says, of which all have become protectors. All who? Come on, church. Huh? All of God's children, of which all of God's children have become partakers. So if you are not a partaker of discipline, of chastisement, then do you belong to God? No. Listen to the verse again. I just want y'all to hear, and I'm not trying to be arrogant or, or flippant or nothing like that, but listen, I don't want you to hear this from me. I want you to hear this from the Scriptures. A lot of people stand up and say a lot of things about what the Bible says, but I want you to hear what the Bible says. Not just what Greg thinks about the Bible. I want you to hear with ears that God's given you to hear, eyes that God's given you to see. I want you to hear and to see these things. He says, but if you are without chasing, in other words, you do not receive discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So you're not a child of his if he does not chastise you, whoop you, take you to the woodshed, uh, spank you. you. You with me? I don't know, whatever term you want to put. And let me just say this. God gets a little more serious than just time out. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastised us or chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit. Did you hear what that said? He's doing it for our profit. It's going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. I never believed that. When... 
they told me that. But he for our profit that we may be partakers, listen, of his holiness. Now I want you to put things together here. When do we become full partakers of his holiness? When we get home. He didn't, he didn't chastise us for a moment like the fathers on this earth did, but he chastised us so that you and I would receive his discipline so that he would approve of us so that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. I mean, he just goes ahead and lays it out, right? Painful. And discipline sometimes, well, most all good discipline is painful, right? Y'all know how we are, right? You're going to be on restriction for two weeks. And the kid goes, yeah, I'll be off this in three days. Why? Because we won't see it through, will we? Oh, my Lord. This has been so hard on them. No, 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 no. It's been hard on you. But it's supposed to be hard on them. Right? Come on, folks, just for a moment. Is discipline supposed to be painful? Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be discipline. We're the same people that joke about the fact that people who are wards of the state get three hots and a cot, watch TV, do all these other things, right? And we'll be saying, they need to do hard time, bless God, for what they've done. Won't even do it with our children. But I'll promise you God does it with his. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He says, then, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but be healed. So in this process, God, if we're God's child, and I'm going to take you back to James chapter 1. If we're, if we're God's child, guess what? His chastisement, His discipline that He brings in our lives, the governing of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, of which all who are children of God, you receive. He catches us. He allows us to go through it for a purpose. The, the, the thing that draws us into it is our own desires and our own lust. And I know I'm talking to a group of people that's perfect, right? Guys, you've never looked twice at another woman. <laughs> Come on. Boy, y'all are a little different than the last crowd. <laughs> Ladies, you ain't never looked twice at that necklace in that box, have you? Some of you, they have to clean your drool up off of the case before you leave. You know, you, you, go, you go over there and they go, oh, hey, Miss So-and-so, you back again to look at that? But none of that happens in our lives, does it? Never. But how far does it go? And is there conviction and that God is telling you? And, and I, I'm just throwing them situations out there. I'm just telling you, I don't know that it's sin for you to get a particular necklace. I'm not saying those things. But what I'm trying to tell you is that if you and I head down the wrong path with a test that's in our lives, and it could be as simple as food, it, it could be as deep as another person that you're not married to, it could be so many things. If you belong to God, God is going to convict you because God is going to finish his work in you. That's the Bible says that. But each one is tempted, verse 14, when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown. You see, there's even a process there, is there not? Even before the spiritual death, there is the propensity that you and I can even take things all the way till the fact that we actually commit a sin but the question's going to be, will you be able to live in that sin? Because if you can live in that sin, 
then the culmination of that is going to be spiritual death. And it's not going to be spiritual death because you in your own strength of your own flesh failed. All of us in our strength of our flesh fail. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those that win, win because Christ rescues us out. And he, again, implants the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And part of the job of the Holy Spirit of God is to convict us of sin until we see Jesus. And in this text, he's trying to tell us that there are things in our lives that tempt us, that test us. And we have to make a choice in those things. For the believer, we're making a choice. And let me just say this. God wants to get us to the place to where the Holy Spirit doesn't have to convict us. And you know how he gets us there? He gets us there because we read his word. We live in his word. We let his word live in us. And you and I, well, hide his word in your heart that you might not what? Sin against him. There's the formula. It's all centered around his word. He left us with his word. And what we know is this, that the more you stay in a relationship with him through the word of God, the less you are going to get, or the, 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 yeah, the less you will progress through that process. How many of you, it's amazing how God does different things in different services, but how, how many of you, can say that you know people, and maybe that people might be you, that you have, after you have done something that you know is displeasing to God, you go, man, I failed him again. There are people out there that live with regret every single day for decisions that they make. Some people wake up in the bed and look over beside them and they go, wow, I ain't talking about you husband and your wife i'm <laughs> i'm talking about somebody that maybe ain't your husband and wife your wife <laughs> just <laughs> save it there all the women's gonna go yes praise god <laughs> every morning <laughs> what was i thinking <laughs> okay let's come back some people look on the counter in their house and they see the remnant of from what last night brought. And they go, wow. Why? Sometimes you may say something to somebody, you may do something to somebody, and afterwards it's like, man, why? First off, if that's happening, you ought to praise God. And you ought to be obedient to God because God is waking you up, telling you, you should, you need to repent of this. And you need to stop it. And I wonder sometimes, please, well, I'm not apologizing. It's what the, it's the Bible. But what do you do when somebody can just live and live and live constantly, repeatedly, knowing that they're not in God's will, but it feels so good to them. It feels so right, but it's not right with his word. You have to believe that there's something that is amiss. If you can habitually live in sin day after day, I'm here to tell you and warn you, you best be careful and you best come to God because you are headed down a path that is obviously leading to spiritual death. And there's only one way to be reclaimed from that. That's to be saved. That you and I need to be redeemed. That's why so many people look at the church and they go, I just don't understand how this could be happening. I don't understand how that can be done. I do. Finally, I do. I, get, I, I understand now. For one, I understand how a Christian can have that said of them. Because they have maybe not lived habitually in a lifestyle of it as a Christian for a length of time. But they have wandered off. They've allowed their, their, their flesh to drag them off into 
a process that has been matured and has come to its birth sin in their lives. And that sin is growing in their lives. And if something don't happen, if, if, if conviction don't happen in their lives, then guess what? If they're not a Christian, they're going to be lost. But conviction starts happening even in the life of a believer. And in the life of a believer, they can hurt the church. They can hurt the church that Christ died for. Acting contrary. I'm a firm believer. I'm not making excuses for people. I'm not. And if people have to make an excuse for you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'm just saying it. Well, you know, old Pops, he's just cantankerous. He's just going, it's just how he is. No! No! Not if he's a child of God. And I want you to hear my heart when I say this. I'm not trying to be ugly, but that's why the Bible says if you got somebody who's repeatedly sinning, repeatedly sinning and you go to them and you try to counsel them with God's word and they won't listen. What does he say do? Put them out. And why do you put them out? So that you might see if their soul is actually saved. And if it's not, maybe it will wake them up. You don't see that no more, do you? But it's the Bible. Why? Because the child of God should be living in verse 12. Sometimes we are in 13, 14, I mean 14 and 15, but we don't, the course is not finished in us in 13, 14 and 15, it's finished in 12. That you and I are rescued out of verses 14 and 15 by the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and propelled to verse 12. And if somebody's lost, they live habitually in sin, need Christ. And you and I, we were once there. That's why there's this stark contrast in things. So Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he never even started the process. His flesh, I believe, goes, I'm hungry. But he never gets drugged down this road. You with me? He never get, goes down. He never even come close to sinning. So you and I, isn't it glorious that when we realize, man, my flesh is desiring this. We have the opportunity to stay right with God's word. And it's hard. I'm telling you right now, it's hard. But it's a battle that you can be victorious in because all you have to do is yield to him. Will we yield to him? I mean, those are questions that go on, right? But think about it. And the day and time that we live in, I'm going to leave you with this thought. The day and time that we live in, <laughs> so many people think that everything needs to be equal. And, and I say that, I, it, it, and I want you to hear my heart. It is just a ploy. There's no answer to, to it. I know that all men are equal in the sense that God created them in the Imago Dei, the, the image of God. In other words, all men, people have souls. But are all people created the same? This is a good thing to answer in your heart. No. I'll keep it a little bit briefer in this service. I tried out for basketball. I love basketball. I played basketball five years in the league. Went to bas USC basketball camp two years. I love playing basketball. Used to. Hey, watching it. Used to love playing basketball. I wasn't bad. And I'm just going to say it like this. I wasn't bad for a clumsy white guy. You with me? But I tried out at junior high. In a county that was 70% African American. I didn't make the team. You with me? It didn't break my heart when I didn't make the NBA. 
I knew that was coming. Right? I knew it was coming. That's who I am. Now, I went into the two and die field, and I can say this. Man, I, I excelled. Did you know I had to work really hard at basketball? I did. I had, matter of fact, I had to work <laughs> double hard. <laughs> but hard work was not going to propel me into the NBA. I just didn't have everything it took to compete. Now, I could, I could have been mad at God. I could be mad at God today. I was joking with my brother. I told him, I said, I want retribution because I didn't get the team, make the team. I was held back. But when I went into the tool and die in the field, it was hard work too. Many, many, many hours of learning a trade. I can't even begin to tell you the hours of learning a trade. To become, and, and I was like, I'm going to be the best that there is. And I lived that for 20 years. If I did it, it was going to be done to perfection. My, my, my motto was that tolerances are for dummies. I don't need tolerances. I'll make it right. And I lived that and, and excelled at it. It was hard work to come along with it. And can I just say this? Everything that you achieve in life that's worth anything is going to take hard work. But everybody's not the same. That's what I'm trying to get across. And I think James is kind of alluding to some of this. If you turn out, if you, if you're an alcoholic, it's because you chose to drink. You say, my daddy was an alcoholic. And I understand predispositions to things. I get all that. But at the end of the day, you don't get to escape the fact that you made the choice. If your kids grow up and you didn't be the daddy that you're supposed to be, didn't be, you're not the daddy that you're supposed to be, you made that choice. If you don't provide for your family and you have the ability to provide for your family men, you made that choice. If you let people down that you promised you're going to do something for because it's going to cost you and it's inconvenient for you, you made that choice. That's what he's talking about. Every day, tempted in our lives. Ladies, choices you make, they affect people too. And you make those choices. And what's it got to do with our scripture? God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. It's always inconvenient. It's always costing you something. And James says that you and I are to be above that. That you and I are to follow through with the things that we're supposed to. Why? Do everything we do is unto the Lord. Why? Because we're children of God. We're his children. And if anybody can show a testimony in this world today of how God wants this world to see Christ portrayed to the world, it is us, Christians, that you and I bear responsibility. We're marked. We're marked. Christ in us. And every day we make a choice. Our desire is pulling us one way. But you know, you don't have to. You and I, we don't have to. We don't have to give in to it. We don't have to go down the road to repentance. I'm not saying you won't, but I'm not making excuses for the fact that you will. We don't have to. You and I are to live above reproach. And it costs to live above reproach. Did you know that? You have to set boundaries. You can't live on the line and live above reproach. If you flirt with the line, you'll fall below it. 
That's just the Bible. See, if we would study, if we study our Bibles, put the Word of God in our heart, we'll know the Word of God and we'll not flirt with the line. And I'm telling you, I know this stuff because I've lived it. I'm not standing up here as somebody who's claiming to be better than you. I am a beggar trying to show another beggar where to get bread from. But I know in my travels on this pilgrimage to go home, I know that you and I don't have... We are to be so different that the world goes, what in the world's going on here? We're to be so far above, and my gosh, it don't take much today to look above, does it? I mean, we live in a day when you, if you can put fog on a mirror and walk into an interview, you can get any job you want just about. Some of them, all you got to do is breathe on the mirror. Yep, that's a living being. We'll hire them. All of the lines have been dropped at schools. We've lowered the bars in sports. We've lowered the bars and in integrity and leadership in this country. We've lowered the bars. So where should we be? Barely at the bar. I mean, if you and I, if the lines here and the world's living here and we were here, even on the line, We'd look so different. But what about if we excelled? Where would we be? I'm just challenging you that you and I have choices to make. You and I have everyday temptations, tests before us. But just remember this. The problem comes from us. It don't come from God. The problem is when we give way to our own desires, our own lust. There have been many, many people to have signed papers for loans that within 30 days they regretted it, ain't it? It's choices. Choices. So I want to encourage you. You can live above it. You and I can live above those things. And if you do find yourself falling into it and you're convicted, why don't you thank God? You ought to praise him for the fact that he has convicted you. That he saved you. And you got to look at it as the fact that he's saving you every day from eternal damnation. He's saving you every day from that. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment. We get, we're going to have an invitation hymn. Um, and I want to ask you just as a challenge to you, right where you're at, do you receive conviction? Does God convict you? Or can you just do whatever you want to do and you get away with it? It's a great question. Can you do whatever you want to do and just get, just get away with it? Or does God chastise you and pull you back before you fall off into habitual sin? Because if if he, if he doesn't do that, then guess what? I cannot stand here and tell you that you're a child of God because of what his word says. But I can tell you this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And he's there. He's, 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 if, he says, if you come to me, he said, I will never reject you. I will never push you away. I read this week, you can take a thousand steps away from God, but only takes one step to come back to God. And that's the God we serve. So I encourage you right now, if you would, just where you're at, would you bow your heads just one second? I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would just simply say, you know, preacher, I'm lost. I'm undone. I, I'm, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. Whatever, whatever it may be, if you're not sure about your salvation, you're not sure if you're a child of God, would you just slide your hand up for just a second? I just want to catch you. God bless you. Nobody looking around. I'm not going to ask you to come pull you out of your, out of your place. I just want to, here's what I want you to know that right where you are, you can acknowledge between you and God, just admit that you are separated from God with your sin, that you are a sinner. God's righteous. You're not that Christ died on the cross to save you of your sins. He, he, he died to pay the penalty that you and I could not pay and give you the righteousness that you and I cannot have outside of him. He did that. They buried him in a tomb and he got up on the third day. 
And he's alive today. And you can trust in him, follow him as your Lord and Savior. If you do that right where you're at, the Bible says you're a new creature in Christ. And I would love to meet you before we leave here today. I mean, if that's what's happening in your life, I'll, please come talk to me. I'll stay as long as I need to stay. And if you're a child of God today and you're just struggling, maybe you've made some decisions, maybe you've yielded some temptations and you're living in, maybe you've already made it to sin and it's because it's, it's already birthed in the sin, but you're convicted about it. Can I tell you this, that if you'll confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's the God that we serve. This altar is always open. We're going to sing a verse or so and be obedient to the Lord. Um, but Father, as we come now, God, would you take your word, do what only you can in Christ's name. Amen.